You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Imagine with me for a moment that you've been accused of being a Christian, a Christian, and you've been summoned to present your case that you are a Christian before the judge of the universe. What would be the things you would present in defense of you being a Christian? What evidences would you have that you could point to to show that I am a follower of God? What proof could you give to the judge that would show him that you are what you are being accused of? Psalms 26 is David's defense that he is a follower of Yahweh. It is his case that he is making before the judge of the universe that he is a follower of God. David in Psalms 26 paints for us a picture of a court scene. We know this to be the case because David begins the psalm in verse 1 with, Vindicate me, O Lord. That word vindicate means judge me. Then he goes on to say in verse 1, I have walked in my integrity. And if you go to verse 11, he says, I shall walk in my integrity. In these verses, he is saying that he is walking with completeness before the Lord. That there is nothing in his life. There's no area of David's life that he does not want the judge of the universe to know about. So he's saying to the Lord, judge me because I walk in integrity. I walk in completeness. There's no area of my life that you can't come and look at and put your discerning eye on and see if it is true that I am who I say I am. All of us together listen to this song and think to ourselves, is this the same David I know? The one who committed adultery with Bathsheba, who had her husband killed and then didn't confess his sin until Nathan the prophet puts him on the spot and says, you are the man. He comes before the Lord and says that he walks in integrity, that there is no area of his life that he does not want the Lord to know about. He is asking the Lord to judge him. There's no way this is right. Like You're thinking this is really a bad move for David to do. Because his sin will be exposed. Do you remember though that one of the overarching facts about Psalms is that the book of Psalms is pointing us to Jesus? In fact, Jesus would say this of himself in Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. This is after his resurrection. He is now living. He is now alive and revealing himself to people And he says this in Luke 24 and verse 44, 
Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and this is Jesus' words, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying that even the Psalms are pointing to him and he is a fulfillment of those Psalms. Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of this song. Jesus is the only one who could walk into the courtroom of heaven and stand before the judge and make the case that David is making in Psalms 26 with a clear conscience. That he lived a life of integrity, a life of completeness. There was no area of Jesus' life that he did not want God to know about. So ultimately, Psalms 26 is not talking about David. Ultimately, Psalms 26 is talking about Jesus. It's a prophecy of him and the life that he would live on this earth. We know that Jesus could, with a clear conscience, stand before the judge of the universe and say that he had no sin, that there, he lived a life of integrity. How do we know that? From Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and listen to this last phrase, yet without sin. So as Jesus was living on this earth and he was experiencing the same temptations that we experienced, he can sympathize with us in that way, but he lived without sin. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, and we've quoted this verse a lot lately, but we'll come back to it again. Verse 21 says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. And this is what it says of him. Who knew no sin? Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalms 26. He could stand before the judge of the universe and say, I stand here with complete integrity. There is no sin. There's, there, there's no area of my life that you're going to uncover that be like, oh, I wish you didn't go to there, Right? Only Jesus could do that. Why? Because he had no sin. It goes on to say, so that in Jesus, you and I might become the righteousness of God. We're going to get to that in a minute, but keep that in your heart and your mind. Then you go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. And it says this, he, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus lived this psalm perfectly. He is the fulfillment of Psalms 26. And you and I have been called to follow in his footsteps. If you go back to verse, uh, if you go back in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21, it says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example that the way he lived were to follow his example. It takes us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. His righteousness has been put to our account. So listen, this is so important for us to understand this psalm. Without Christ, 
this psalm turns into a work-filled religious life. So if I'm reading this psalm without Christ in view, without Christ in my life, then all this becomes is a to-do list of boxes that I have to check off in order for God to be pleased with me. It becomes a work-filled Christian life. But with Christ, this psalm turns into a faithful Christian life. This psalm becomes us following in the footsteps of Jesus. This is us following his example. This song becomes a sweet song to our ears because we get to do these things, not we have to do these things. It reminds me of Romans chapter 4. Verses 24 and 25 where it speaks of God's, Jesus' righteousness being put to our account. He says, speaking of Abraham, it was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake, Abraham's sake only, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in Jesus, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our deliverance and raised for our justification. When Jesus came and lived and died and was buried and rose again, when we put our faith and trust in him, his righteousness, his right way of living has been put to our account. And so Philippians 1.27 says, then you and I who believed in Jesus should live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We should live a life based off of what you already possess in Jesus Christ. So we must understand this church before we move into Psalms 26 because I don't want you to walk out of here today feeling burdened by it. Because no, you don't measure up to it. No, I don't measure up to Psalms 26. But because of Jesus Christ and the example that he has set for us and the life that he has lived, now we can live Psalms 26. Because one Because of Jesus, one day we will be able to stand before God and sing this song. But in the meantime, we seek to live it out through Christ. And so I would ask you this question before we get into Psalms 26. Do you have this kind of relationship with Christ? Has His righteousness been credited to your account? Like, I don't, I don't want you to hear Psalms 26 today apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you do that, you'll walk away thinking, if I can just hit these marks this week, then God's going to be pleased with me. That's not the heart of the message. The heart of the message is, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His life has been credited to my account, and now I live from His righteousness. I follow in His footsteps. Think about it in this way. Because of sin, you are carrying around a debt that you will never be able to pay off. And ultimately, this debt will lead to your death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin 
is death. And your whole life, you're trying to pay off a debt that you can never, ever pay off. You can consolidate it. You can go to church. You can read the Bible. You can take communion. You can get baptized. You can do all of these quote-unquote religious activities and never pay off your debt. Because as soon as you get close to that being debt-free and standing in Dave Ramsey's headquarters and saying, I'm debt-free, right? Before you get to that, you'll incur more debt because of your sin. Because the Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus came to pay the debt that you owe to God through His death, burial, and resurrection. See, Romans 6.23 doesn't end with, for the wages of sin is death. It ends with, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you trust in Jesus, He pays off your debt. You are justified. That's a Bible word that you'll hear throughout Scripture. You are justified. You are declared righteous. Your debt is paid in full. You are debt free. And that would be great news, right? If He just made us debt free, that He saved us from our sin, that we have eternal life with Him. That is great news. But then He goes a step farther. And here's what Jesus does for us is he gives you his debit card and he says, live this life out of my account. That's Psalms 26. He says, here's your debts paid, cut up your credit cards, good job. Your debt's been paid in full. I absorbed the wrath of God. I took the payment that was rightfully yours to pay back, but I took it in myself. Now, here's my debit card. Live your life on my account. Do you have this kind of relationship with Jesus? If you don't, I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Him today. To be honest with you, I don't want you to hear the rest of my message until you've put your faith and trust in Him until you're living your life based off of His account through Him. Because then it's just works and this, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. It may in the temporary help you feel good, but, but the, fir- the first step is trusting in Jesus. And for those of you who have trusted Jesus, let's see what has been put to our account and let us through this passage make the case for living a faithful Christian life. So open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 26. We're going to notice four parts of this case that David makes that Jesus fulfills And that we live out through Christ in Psalms 26, these 12 verses. The first thing, the first case that David makes to the Lord is that he has nothing to hide. Look at verses 1 through 3. Vindicate me, O Lord, 
Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Verse 2, prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love, your covenant love is before my eyes. And I walk in your faithfulness. David says to the Lord as he lays his life bare before him, he says, prove me, try me, test me. And what I find interesting is that David says, test, prove, and try, and test my heart and my, my mind. David understands that following God starts with the heart. And so his walking in integrity comes from a heart and mind that belongs to the Lord. So as David is making his case to the Lord of him being able to stand before the Lord, before the judge, that he does follow the Lord. And our case today is we're saying we're faithful Christian followers of Jesus. The first thing that David said is I've got nothing to hide. Try me, test me, open me up, look at my heart, look at my mind, and you will find one who is dedicated, who is loving you. There's an old story about a little boy who insisted on standing up on a pew during the church service. After several admonitions from his mother severely threatened him if he stood up one more time, as he was sitting, squirming on the pew, he whispered to his mother, I am sitting down on the outside, but I am standing on the inside. (laughs) David is saying to the Lord, What I'm doing on the outside, walking in integrity, is matching what's going on on the inside. He, in essence, is giving God his phone and saying, read all my text messages. Visit my search history. Look through all my pictures. Look at my bank account. Check my calendar. I have nothing to hide. This is the case for a Christian, a faithful Christian life is to live with nothing to hide. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Then in verses 4 through 5, we see that a faithful Christian life is one who avoids bad influences. He says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. If you hear those words, it should take your mind back to the first psalm, Psalm 1. Remember what he says about the blessed man? The blessed man is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. He is again saying that a Christian, a faithful Christian is one who avoids bad influences. Sitting with men of falsehood and the wicked implies belonging with them or you identify with them or you want to be like them or you count yourselves as one of them or you choose to spend your time with them. This is the idea that David is getting at here of not to sit or consort or, 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 or be with the assembly or I'll not sit with the, uh, the wicked. He is saying, I'm avoiding bad influences in my life. So if you're looking at my life, Lord, the way that you'll know that I'm a faithful follower of you is that I avoid bad influences. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. 
bad company corrupts good morals. We say this to our students often, right? As they grow up, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's not just good news for our students to hear and understand. It's also important for all of us to understand. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. C.H. Spurgeon, in his Treasury of David, where he takes each psalm and dives deep into it, says this of this section, Let each reader see well to his company, for such as we keep in this world, we are likely to keep in the next. Let me say that again. Let each reader see well to his company, for as such we keep in this world, we will likely to keep in the next. David is in essence inviting the Lord to come hang out with the people that he hangs out with. The people who are influencing his life. And he says, I want you to know that I am avoiding bad influences in my life. I I would say for us today in, in our culture, we get the idea of we want to avoid bad influences in people that are going to lead us away from Christ rather than towards Christ. But maybe if I could, maybe I should step a little bit deeper into our lives and not just talk about the people we hang out with, but the things that influence us online. Could you invite God to watch the YouTubers you watch? Could you... Invite God to listen to the podcasters that you listen to. That's influencing us. And so we look at this and say, yeah, look at my life. I'm not hanging out with any bad influences. But maybe we need to take a step deeper into our lives and look at the the things that we're allowing to influence us. And we know that social media and YouTube and all these things influence us in a powerful way. And so maybe avoiding bad influences has less to do with who you're hanging out and more to do with your heart of humility that's saying, I need to be careful about what I'm allowing to influence my heart and my mind because what influences my heart and my mind is eventually going to come out in my life. And so if I'm watching YouTubers that are not taking me to Christ, that are not encouraging my relationship to Christ, maybe they're encouraging hatred and anger in your heart and life, then just, just know that's probably going to come out in your life. Avoid bad influences. Then look at verses 6 through 10. So faithful Christian life, nothing to hide, Avoids bad influences, 26, 6 through 10. Faithful Christian life is one who loves God and his people. David says, I wash my hands in innocence. This is just an outward picture of washing your hands to show you're innocent. You remember Pilate washed his hands of Christ, death, right? What was he saying? I'm innocent. I'm not the one that's going to kill Christ. He was trying to vis- visibly say, I'm, I'm innocent. This is David again, declaring his innocence and saying, I've washed my hands in innocent, innocence and I go around the altar of the Lord. So now he's at the temple, 
proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. David is saying, I love God. And I just can't stop talking and being grateful for all that he has done for me. So I just walk around the temple just with a thankful heart, thanking God for all that he has done for me, loving God. Then in verse 8, he says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. He's obviously talking about the temple here and the people of the temple. Today, if we were to take this into our modern time, we would say he loves church. He loves being with the people of God. And so he says in verse 9 and 10, because I love you, Lord, and I love being with the people of God, don't sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. Don't let me go down that path. Protect as I love you and I'm loving your people. Protect me from those that would be bad influences on my life and take me away from loving you and loving your people. It reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter 6 where God said the greatest thing for us to do, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and strength. It reminded me of Matthew chapter 22. When they come to Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing that we could do with our lives? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think of Jesus' words in John when he says, how are you going to know that you are my disciple? By your love one for another. One of the cases that we should make for living a faithful Christian life is that we love God and we love His people. Do we prioritize, we, I would say, I guess this way, we prioritize what we love. And so, the question then would be, where's your priorities at? Do you and I love God and love His church, love His people? Uh, I think a good way for us to, to measure that is to probably look at our time, our talent, and our treasure. If I were to follow you around with your time, would I notice love for God and love for His church? One of the burdens that I have as one of your pastors for our church is that we tend to prioritize other things more than God and His church. You say, well, Steve, how, how do you know that? Well, if we prioritize what we love, then if you're only coming to church a couple times a month and just giving one brief hour a week to the Lord, 
I'm concerned. If you don't have time to be in an Antioch group to love the people of this church because your schedule is so full, One of the hard parts of being a pastor is that Hebrews 13, 7 says that we will give an account of your life to the Lord. Like that, in a church this size, just so you know, that's a burden. Because I'm going to give an account of your life. So when I talk about making a case for a faithful Christian life, I feel the weight of my own sin and I feel the weight of my own family. But I want you to know, Todd feels the same way. Bob feels the same way. Clint feels the same way. We feel the weight of this passage. Because the Bible says, I've got to give an account for you. And do it, the the, the goal, and he challenges you and says, make sure that they do it with joy and not with sorrow. So he puts it a little bit back on you. So I say that because I love you. And I say that because someday I will have to stand before God and give an account of the thousand plus people who are members of our church who have stood under the sound of my, sat under the sound of my voice. And I don't want to stand there and say, well, I went easy. That was like, you just prioritize what you want to prioritize. You live the way that you want to live. So please know that when I say this, I feel the weight of it, but I also feel the weight of an heavenly judge who will ask me someday to give an account on your behalf. And I want you to stand before the Lord with joy and not with sorrow because you prioritized Him, you loved Him, and you loved His people. You loved this church, you prioritized this church like you prioritize a Chiefs game and everything works around that game. You began to prioritize being with God's people and being in an Antioch group and serving and being a part of what God is doing and gathering week after week after week. And listen, I know you're in the room today. You're like, Stephen, you're talking to the choir, right? Like you're in the room today. But hear my heart, please. If you're watching online, hear my heart. Love God, love his people. That's the mark That's the case that David is making to the Lord. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I love being with your people. One of the things that brings joy to my heart is when people talk about how they love to gather here at Antioch. They can't wait for Sunday where they get to be together with God's people. They can't wait to be in their Antioch group and meet and talk about life together. They can't wait to serve. That just brings joy to my heart because that should be the marks of our life that we love God and we love His people. Then verse 11 and 12. He says this, but as for me, I shall walk in integrity. He's bringing it back. Redeem me 
Be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. Now he's like, I'm with the church. I will bless the Lord. Here's what I would say from this case is what he's making is he's standing on the gospel. When he says my feet stand on level ground, David's confidence is in the Lord to keep him. He's saying my my feet, and I, I love the picture here, is my feet are on solid ground. Like they're they're not shaky, right? It's not like I'm standing on one of those boards that has the little roller underneath it and you're trying to get your balance. Like that's not the picture here. The picture is you have solid ground and there's a piece of wood and you're standing on that. He says, my confidence is in the Lord. I'm standing on the gospel. And because Jesus lived this perfectly, we can stand on the gospel and be secure in our relationship with with Christ. So when suffering comes into our life, when sin comes into our life, we can stand on the gospel, stand secure in, in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're introduced to the first, what it should be of first importance in our life, which is the gospel. And he says this in 1 Corinthians, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So the idea is you took it for yourself. And then look at what he says at the end of verse 1, in which you stand. Paul would build on this idea of standing on level ground and saying the gospel is good news not only because we can receive it and have a right relationship with God, but in this life of sin and suffering, we can stand on level ground. We can be secure in our relationship with God. We can stand firm. We can be established. The gospel brings stability to our lives. And when do we need stability? We need stability when things don't go as planned. And really, if you're studying Psalms 26, David's probably in the middle of trouble again. It's like, this is David's life, right? Suffering and sin everywhere in his life. And so he's saying yet again that he can stand on level ground because of his relationship with God. When life doesn't turn out the way we would want it, we can stand on the gospel. Paul would say this in Romans 5.1, to stand in the gospel. When we're tempted... In sin, Galatians 5.1 says to stand in the gospel. That our standing in the gospel doesn't allow us to go back to the slavery of sin. So you may look at this case and say there's no way that can be true of you or me. And I would say you are right. But because of Jesus, this can be true of my life. I can make this case to live a faithful Christian life because of Christ. I can follow his example. I can follow in his footsteps of having nothing to hide, avoiding bad influences, loving God and loving his people, and standing all on the gospel. And I can do all of this because of Christ. Romans 14, 12 says this, that one day... We will all stand before God and give an account of our lives to God. This account that he's talking about in Romans 14, 12 is not an account for salvation. 
That's secure in Christ. This account is how we lived our life after Christ came in. After Christ credited his righteousness to our account. This is when we'll stand and give an account of our life to the Lord. My prayer is that we as a church would be able to sing Psalms 26 someday before the Lord with a clear conscience because we followed in the footsteps of Jesus and we lived a faithful Christian life. Father, thank you for your word. And most importantly, we thank you for Jesus who paid off our debt and has credited his righteousness to our account so that now as we live our lives, we live out of your account. So that someday when we stand before the Lord, it was his righteousness through us. If we can stand before the Lord and sing Psalms 26 of having nothing to hide, of avoiding bad influences, of loving God and His church, of, of standing on the gospel, it will only be because you helped us do that. So we pray, Lord, that we would follow your example and where you convicted us. I know to hear it probably is convicting, it, convicting but Lord, to study it this week was super convicting. And so the areas of my life, Lord, that you exposed, I pray that you would help me to submit them to you and to live what you've called me to live in you. Would you do the same for our church as well so that when we stand before you, we can do it with joy and not with sorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.